It's Wednesday, March 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Brian White, and Jason Moser. Happy Wednesday, gents. Happy hump day. It's cold out there, isn't it? It is. It's chilly, it's chilly. Cold again. Windy, too. Am I jinxing us if I say I think this is the last cold day of the year? You know, I th- oh, of, of, of this winter? I think we every, every snow, it's like, well, this has got to be the last, the last one, right? One, it's March 26th. I'm, I'm, it's I'm, March 26th, and this is Virginia, for I'm, crying I'm, out I'm loud. I'm done jinxing it. I mean, I fully expect another snow day. All right. All right. Let's move on. We'll struggle on somehow. Uh, we'll talk Walgreens. We'll talk Panera Bread. Let's start with the deal of the day, and that is Facebook, which is buying Oculus VR, a company that makes virtual reality goggles, a stock and cash deal worth $2 billion. Uh, Right now, you can just use these things for video games. Um, But here's a quote from Mark Zuckerberg. He said, imagine enjoying a courtside seat at a game, studying in a classroom of students and teachers all over the world, or consulting with a doctor face-to-face just by putting on goggles in your home. Uh, you know, I have no ability to glimpse into the future. So, uh, you know, if they can make that work, great. But, Brian, probably worth pointing out, shares of Facebook down a couple percentage points. So at least in the very, very near term, yeah. people are looking at this and saying, ah, well, you might have paid a little too much. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's quite a few strong opinions out there on uh, this <clears throat> virtual reality company that they just acquired. And <clears throat> my prediction is simply, I mean, this thing will fade because it's going to take so long for Facebook really to put this thing together that, you know, within a month or two, the news will fade and they'll go back to, you know, what Facebook's core business is. And then uh, as it pertains to the virtual reality part of Facebook's future, I mean, part of me thinks that it should already be here. You know, remember growing up and it was just like, you know, by 2014, yeah. you know, something like that would be here. <laughs> But uh, I, there's strong opinions out there right now. I'm still digesting the news. I, I, if they can make it work, great. I, I think it'll be interesting. It'll also be complicated, and I'm sure there'll be strong opinions all the way through. But for me, I, I think it's interesting at the very least. Should we be surprised by the drop? And I say that only because, Jason, the WhatsApp a- acquisition, yeah, that was true. $19 billion. Yeah. This is a drop in the bucket compared to that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's that's the that's the thing with the, with this bet, right? I mean, it could totally blow up in their face, and and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because compar- comparatively speaking, they've set our expectations, and this is just a tiny little bet of two billion dollars. Um, I mean, you know, I, I think on the one hand, it's it, I I credit them for uh, you know working working a lot of this deal with uh, Facebook shares. I mean, I, he's he's basically using Facebook shares as currency at this point with with shares at an all time high. So I mean, from that perspective, um, he's he's got a little money to play with, which is neat. Um, and it's most do I, I I thought I saw four hundred million in cash, four hundred million in cash in the, the balance, the, the rest in stock. Yeah. So the majority yeah. of this is financed. The stock by was stock. based on the twenty day moving average, somewhere in the neighborhood of sixty nine dollars and change. So it's it's essentially seventy dollars per share is what the what the prices uh, implied. And, and so I mean that's that's good. I mean it's cheap currency for Facebook. Uh, you know it still keeps the control of the company firmly in Zuckerberg's hands. That's fine too. Uh, you know, I, the WhatsApp acquisition, I could see more clearly how that related to Facebook, uh, Facebook's model and, and Zuckerberg's vision of, of connecting the world. This one, I, I understand what they're doing. I think it's just a little bit of a – I think it's a bit of a greater reach, um, at least in the near term. I mean, maybe maybe you know a decade from now, this, this 
this turns out to be a great deal and we'll, we'll all gawk about how prescient he was and, and how smart, you know, Facebook management is. But, you know, I mean, I it just seems like we're hitting this trend where the, the socialization factor here, I mean, more and more, I mean, people's faces are buried in their phones, you're buried on your tablet, you're connected almost, you know, 100% of the day now. And with the advent of the smartwatch or some other wearable here on the on the very near horizon, uh, I mean, it, it's going to it's going to be just I, I can't help but feel like this is the demise of, of just the, of <laughs> the social prowess of human <laughs> beings. I mean, you just we're losing any any and all sort of uh, of of social skills with things like this. But but maybe it'll work out. Who knows? Brian, when do they need to look the virtual reality glasses? I think re- regardless of what's happening in the market today, I think any analyst who's covering Facebook is looking at this and saying, to the extent that this pays off, mm-hmm. it is pretty far in the future. And by pretty yeah. far, I mean three, five, ten years, however long. The WhatsApp, though, that acquisition, for the amount of money they paid, you look at the overall value of the deal. I'm not saying they have to monetize that immediately. Yeah. But is it safe to assume that before the end of this calendar year, that's going to come up on a conference call that some analysts are going to say, by the way, let's go back to February and this $19 billion deal. It seems like they need to, if not monetize it quickly, they need to show some sort of progress on it quickly. Or am I being too impatient? I think you're right to a certain extent. I don't think there'll be like a timeline or a deadline. I think Facebook and Mark, and they've built some goodwill you know, with analysts and, and and uh, Mark, you know, Mark will lay out his plan to monetize uh, WhatsApp, and we'll see how the how the market responds. But at this point, Facebook is just a huge dog in a rapidly growing mobile advertising market where they have goodwill um, in terms of monetizing a WhatsApp. Um, when they do go about, you know, monetizing it, I'm not sure. But I, the one thing, the one thing I think is interesting. From Mark's Facebook post, you get the idea that Mark was getting a little, eh, I guess, a, a little bit bored, right? <laughs> with, with well, over the past 18 months, the whole business has been about transferring from desktop to mobile, mm-hmm. right? Essentially the, the same platform, the same kind of business, and then catering to advertising. And we know Mark's not, that's not Mark's passion. Mark's passion is about this 10, 20, 30, 40-year vision of the future. And then also the other thing that, that I read, it's also a potential to diversify the revenue streams. We know LinkedIn is very good at that, right? They got three or four different revenue streams. And for uh, Facebook, it would be interesting if I think Mark has plans to have this not just be an advertising business. So a membership model we could see in the future, something around this uh, virtual reality um, uh, business starting with the games first right so game the gaming is something that it looks like they'll be able to do you know in the, you know in the next few years with this company so we'll see yeah i think that's a good point i mean i think any any investor needs to look at an investment in facebook as this this is essentially like a 10 20 30 year story that's going to be playing out you you more or less just need to tuck those shares away and just more or less forget that you have them um, the, the interesting thing i think for me is going to be the implications here for kickstarter because if if yes. I'm a kick, if I'm a significant like Kickstarter quote unquote investor in Oculus, I gotta be. I'm feeling a little bit salty right now. Wait a minute, I just, is that I is that how, well, is that how Oculus, Oculus, got, Oculus got its funding initially from Kickstarter? So I mean, you know, Kickstarter is that thing where you could give five dollars, you give five thousand yeah. dollars, but you basically are are 
contributing to the development of the startup of this business. But, you know, it, it's basically, you know, what you get in return for that is you get a T-shirt or maybe you get like a prototype of the first device that they make or something like that. But, you know, if, if I'm like if I'm like a significant kickstart investor in Oculus, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit salty right now because I basically got nothing. My return on invested capital here is like a T-shirt and a paperweight, you know, and Zuckerberg just plunked down two billion dollars for this company. So I, I would be interested to see how this affects the way people look at Kickstarter down the road because it, it you at least have to think twice before you uh, go ahead and throw money into something like that. If you, if you really, I mean, all, is your return going to be kind of just hey, I I got in in the early stages with this company. Oh yeah, really? How much did you make? Oh, I didn't make anything. I got a T-shirt. Have you ever contributed to a Kickstarter? No. You? No. I did to a movie, but I just. I, I, that's a movie, but I'm, there's a return. There's a return implied <laughs> there that you want to see that movie and the enjoyment. Who can put a price on your enjoyment? No one can, but you can. Um, and, and so I get that. I understand that completely. If I have a, a, a band that I would love to see, you know, have the financial means to put together another album or go on tour, I could see that. Um, you know, a lot of people plunking down some money for this company to get its, you know, feet underneath them, and, and they, you know, now. <laughs> It's gone like dust in the wind. Yeah, the amount of money I contributed to the movie, I'm getting a, a DVD copy and a poster and that sort of thing. But right. now I'm thinking, gosh, if this thing goes on to win an Academy Award, I want. Where, where's my little? Now, how here? much money did you plunk into the Kickstarter? I'm not for gonna, that. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to say. So we're getting a little bit too personal. <laughs> let's now, let's move on to Walgreens. <laughs> uh, second quarter profits were hit by weaker margins. They also announced they are closing 76 drugstores. For context, Jason, the last filing, they had over 8,200. So this is less than 1% of their locations. What did you make of the quarter? Yeah, speaking of a drop in the bucket, I mean, Walgreens is the big dog in this space, a little bit bigger than CVS, uh, even more uh, so uh, than, than Rite Aid. But yeah, the quarter was okay. It wasn't anything to, to write home about. Like you said, they had um, some profitability concerns there, and that was because primarily because of headwinds in the generic drug space. Typically, when these drug stores push those generic drugs, those are higher margin, uh, more profitable products for them. Um, and, and so you kind of see those things go through cycles. And, and so we, we kind of know that's going to sort of ebb and flow. But, I mean, the thing that you have to remember is that Walgreens and their ilk, they, they generate somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 65% of their sales from those prescription drugs. So they are very levered to those. Uh, what you get on the one hand is a relatively consistent offering. You know they're going to bring in a pretty good amount of cash every quarter because they're selling a lot of prescription drugs. And we seem to live in a society that becomes more dependent on prescription drugs and not less dependent. Uh, you know, the downside is that there's not going to be a tremendous amount of growth there um, other than the efforts to either acquire, which Walgreens did with Dwayne Reed, I believe it was, in yep. New York, um, or trying to become more things to more people, which Walgreens also did in New York when they started offering sushi. Sure. And so, you know, I mean, it's 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 kind of a it's a tricky. I think we talk about this all the time. I mean, really, the competitive advantage there is location, right? I don't care where I get my prescription filled. Most places will take the insurance. So I just want to go to the closest place, and that's why. Just in general, the space doesn't really attract me all that much. But uh, you know, that's just me. When I need cold medication, nothing hits the spot like a little sushi on the side. And now. <laughs> Panera Bread down more than 6% this morning after the stock was downgraded. Brian, help me out here. I get that yeah. the stock has had a good run, and the downgrade was from buy to hold. It wasn't like, God forbid, it would be downgraded to a sell. Run! But they, But they just – Panera just had their investor day 
yeah. presentation yesterday, they reaffirmed guidance for the full fiscal year. Yeah. Is, yeah. is the downgrade an aberration? What do you think? So, like, so in Wall Street speak, a hold is a sell. So, for our, yeah. <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, it's a sell recommendation um, by that firm. But it does. It's not surprising because they pulled long-term uh, earnings guidance and in kind of pointed out that 2014, 2015 is going to be a transition year for them. And we all know. I mean, Wall Street's not going to look. Typically, Wall Street and the analysts and the, and the investors they serve are not looking beyond 2015 for returns. They're not so looking beyond the next 30 to, I th- 90 I days. I think it was almost an automatic. It drops down to hold, which you know essentially is a sell. Uh, so the transcript from the analyst day is like a 55-pager, right? So let's ass- I haven't digested the whole thing. <laughs> I was going to say, let's assume I haven't read a single <laughs> yeah, word of it. Yeah, it into a tweet. So essentially what they're trying to do is they're j- – it's probably a smart move. How how well they execute it is is another story, and we'll we'll find that out. But essentially, trying to evolve the whole entire guest experience. Um, one of the issues with Panera at this part of their sort of maturity as a restaurant is the throughput in those stores, and it's just really a clumsy experience. Is you know, and they've heard it year over year over year. So now they're going to use some technology, and they're going to try to integrate the whole entire system from ordering via you know mobile and apps to payment, you know, a different kind of payment process and different options in terms of payment to try to get the try to improve the entire experience. Um, like I said, I have to digest the whole thing to see exactly everything that they're doing, but this looks like it's a you know, it's a complete overhaul. They're trying to build an integrated uh system within their store base to you know, improve the profitability stores, improve the the customer experience, and uh, we'll see how it works out. I'm interested to sit down and spend some time to read through the whole thing, though. When we talked on uh, the radio show most recently, one of the things we talked about, Jason, was Starbucks, and at their annual meeting last week, they mentioned, they didn't make a big deal out of it, but they did mention this test they've been doing locations in Chicago, Atlanta, Southern California, about 40 locations, testing the sale of beer and wine in the mm. evening. And now they're going to be rolling that out, not to every location, but to thousands of locations across the country. Is that a move? I, first of all, it's probably safe to assume that Panera is watching that move <laughs> and the success or failure of that move very closely. But as someone who loves going to Panera – and studies the company, is that a move that Panera should strongly consider, should wait and see how it works for Starbucks? Again, they've been operating very well over the last few years. The stock has done very well over the last few years. So it's not like they're in desperation mode. But that seems like it would be a relatively easy way to add a higher margin product Somewhat seamlessly. Yeah, I think. I mean, it, it certainly could be, and 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 I'm not saying that I would uh, be shocked uh, to see Panera try something like that down the road. Now, with that said, I mean, I, you know, I look at Starbucks and I look at at Panera and compare the two. I mean, Starbucks is obviously further along in its life uh, than Panera. They they've been able to you know make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and, and you know figure out ways to grow and grow effectively and and to Brian's point there the throughput factor i think is something that panera really really struggles with right now um it, it just it, it they they just don't create a very good experience from the second you walk in that store um and so i feel like 
while maybe alcohol could be something that they could consider introducing the menu at some point down the road, I think really they need to prioritize. Um, and first things first, I mean, if they can they can work on the in-store experience, the throughput, and for God's sake, get an app and make it easier for me to deal with you. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. if you can do that and pull that off, let's let's tackle that one first. You know, I mean, ten years from now, beers, beer and wine will still be there, and they can look at that as another lever. I've needed. only been to a few different locations, uh, maybe half a dozen Panera Breads uh, on the East Coast, but to that point, I have to say, it's if I go into a Chipotle. Every Chipotle I've ever been in, the same, about a half dozen or so. It's the, the location is constructed in such a way where there's one line, you go through it. You mm-hmm. go, so they've really <clears throat> mastered throughput in a way that Panera Bread hasn't. The Panera Bread locations I've been to, it really does seem a little bit confusing. I'm not sure which register to go to. There's not that one start here, move through the line. They don't really have that down. And I'm wondering – is this going to be hard for them to fix? Because you could make the argument that to really fix throughput in such a way that they dramatically improvement, they would need to overhaul their locations. They would need to, they would need construction at work, Brian. Not just oh, we need to build an app. Yeah, it, it, and they will with their new stores. I mean, they're 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 going to have new kind of footprints with their new stores, from what I hear. And then. Uh it is going to be part of it, you know, the construction of the store, redesigning stores and different things like that. And it's, you know, I don't know all their details, so it's hard to tell exactly what they're going to do. You know, they're mentioning something about kiosks within the stores for, like, payment and things like that. So we'll have to wait and see. It's good. Throughput is incredibly difficult for the restaurant. Why do you think everyone loves Chipotle? It's one of the most <laughs> difficult things to master. It really is. Throughput yeah. is critical because all your customers come at a certain time, and it's like, well, you know, why can't you spread this out over the week? And then to Jason, to the to the alcohol comment, Chris, I think every restaurant operator considers alcohol from the very beginning and then revisit it. <clears throat> revisits all the way through because it's such a high-margin consumable for a restaurant operator. So there is a reason. There is no alcohol in Panera. I'm not sure exactly why, but uh, I wouldn't expect it to change. Well, and you look at – so, I mean, Panera versus Chipotle, for example, there's kind of an easy one. But, I mean, I, I think that really exploits the differences between a company that owns all of their stores versus a company that franchises out. And so Panera franchises out. Probably about half of their stores today are franchise operations. And that can be good because it, it can lead to fast growth. But by the same token, it's it's le- it's more difficult to control. They don't have the same control factor, uh, the same input as to where stores are built, how they're built, keeping up with those stores. And Chipotle has just been so – I mean, just just religious about just controlling that process from the very beginning, owning it from start to finish, from the from determining where they're going to put those stores to the construction of those stores. That's why they all look the same because they know that throughput, like Brian said, is so critical, and and you know it shows. And it's almost like Panera's vision from the beginning was this is going to be a place for people to hang out. Yeah. Right, and I think that and that may play a role in the fact that you know you never really added alcohol to the menu because do you really want somebody sitting there right. hanging out drinking alcohol? And then, Some you know, belligerent dude. Hey, your internet needs I to don't be know. faster. That's just a guess, but you just reminded me of a, lo- a restaurant in Old Town Alexandria called King Street Blues, mm-hmm. sort of a funky roadhouse oh, yeah. barbecue, right? yeah. and they have all these little uh, sayings that they've jotted down on their menus, that sort of thing. And uh, the two that leap to mind are. 
get in here before we both starve. And the other one is eat fast and get out. <laughs> it's like, you know what? If you own a restaurant, that's kind of what you want to say to everyone. Come in, eat fast, get out. It's all about the throughput. All right. Brian White, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So no buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That does it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Coming Thursday, if you follow us on Twitter, you've already seen a very special guest coming tomorrow. That's right. It's the return of Uncle Joe Maker. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.